Okay, welcome back to the Upon This Rock podcast. Uh, my name is Max Thomas, and we're going to continue talking about the church and baptism today. If you haven't checked out the last episode um, entitled The Baptized, make sure you do that because this conversation is going to be a continuation of that one. Um, and we're talking about the church and what is the church and the images in the New Testament used of the church and where those images kind of have their roots in the Old Testament. And I said that I think actually the the best place to start actually is with baptism, that fundamentally uh, to be the church is to be the baptized, is to be the people who have gone under the water and come out of the water, is to be the people who have uh, gone into death with Christ and raised to do the newness of life, that the way in which we are remade, the way in which we are born again of spirit and of water, the way in which we have uh, new life in us is through the waters of baptism. And my one of my main points in the last episode was something happens at baptism, that I think we, we strip baptism of its power and really its meaning when we make it a mere symbol, or we make it a um, just a, a personal proclamation of faith, a personal faith statement to other people, um, and I and I think uh, we we misunderstand it when it just becomes you know um, something that's done once a year, and maybe I have a class on, but I think to be the gathered people in a local context. And even then in a universal context, is to be the people who have been made new. We are new creations. We are the ones who have been made into something that we were not and now have been commissioned by Christ, by His Spirit, to go and remake the world, uh, to make the world into disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded, that this is how we go about doing it. And um, so baptism becomes this fundamental reality of who we are as the church, that every week when we gather, we gather as the people who have gone under the water and come back out into Christ and have been raised with Him, and that we, we tell back of the God of Genesis 1, who brought uh, all of creation and all of life out of the water. Even one church father, Tertullian, he points out that the first thing, um, the first living being created in Genesis 1 are the fish that live in the water. And so he exhorts the church then to be like the fish, to live in the water. And I think that that is is right. And um, there's another... A very important document in the early church um, called the Shepherd of of Hermes, the uh, very strange name. But anyway, he has the author has this vision of this tower that's being built, and it's being built on the water. And the 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 blocks that these angels are building this tower from are being drawn out of the water. And he says that the ones that are drawn out of the water, they fit together perfectly. 
and this is he then explicitly says is is baptism that the church in in this kind of visionary telling and this was a, a very important document in the the early church the church is literally built on the waters of baptism and is built from stones that are pulled out of the waters of baptism and so all that to say this is why I, I wanted to start with baptism and so we started with kind of what I just said of of Genesis 1 of actually being the the foundational prototypical story of God saving through water, of bringing life out of water. And if we were just to think in those categories of salvation and water, and we were to start in Genesis 1, and then we were to like kind of work our way through the narrative, um, where would you end up next? You would end up with Noah, right? And so the story of Noah... um, is the Lord sees humans have filled the earth with violence and wickedness, and they've rejected God and His ways, and they've done what they've wanted, uh, even causing harm to those around them for the sake of their own gain. And in response, the Lord says that He is sorrowful, that He regrets making them, that He's filled with sorrow, which, by the way, I've said this in a previous episode, He never says that He's he's angry, he says that He's sorrowful. Um but he says that he's he's going to destroy them. And so how he's going to do that, he says he's going to, to flood the earth. And if you remember in the last episode, we walked through Genesis 1, where it says God separated waters from waters, and there's waters above and waters below, and then that he pulled the earth out of waters. What we're going to see in the Noah story is that that basic cosmological construction, the construction of the universe, what the flood is, is it's that universe deconstructing, collapsing back in on itself. The The language that Genesis uses is that the windows of heaven are opened and the deep, remember in the, in the beginning, the, the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. In Genesis um, 6, it's or maybe it's 7, it's 7, Genesis 7, it says the windows of the heavens are opened and the deep uh, basically comes back in. And so if you think about God separated waters from waters and now he's allowing those waters to collapse back in on themselves. It's the If Genesis 1 is creation... The flood story in Noah is decreation. It's hitting the almost hitting the rewind button, the undo button, and it's allowing what he is ordered in Genesis one and two to collapse back in on itself um, and return to Genesis one two that the earth was formless and without void, and there was only darkness and water, waters of chaos and violence, and that's what had what fills the earth again. And so it's Genesis, the, the, the flood story really only makes sense when it's read almost as a, as a, a upside down twist of Genesis 1. It's the, the, de, the decreating of the universe, just as Genesis 1 is the, the creating of the universe. But Noah, Noah is, is obviously the righteous one. He's told to build an, build an ark and fill it with every kind of animal, male 
and female alike. All those things which the, the text tells us contain the spirit of life or the breath of God. And those are brought into the ark. So in Genesis 1, the spirit, it says, was hovering over the face of the water. Here in Genesis um, 7, in, in the Noah story and following, all the things that contain the spirit of life, the animals and obviously people, are brought onto the ark so that when the waters rise, you have the ark and the spirit that is in the ark hovering over the face of the waters. So it's, it's a retelling of the same story. It's bringing everything back to Genesis 1, and God is going to start things again. He's going to start things new. And so we had darkness and waters over the whole earth and the Spirit hovering over them. And so he opens the windows of heaven, allows those waters to come crashing back in, floods the earth so there's darkness and water, and, and now it's the Spirit is hovering in the ark uh, over the face of the waters. And after seven days, it says, uh, which is a reversal of creation, right? The, uh, after this is, as Noah is, is gathering everything, that after seven days, again, creation, the waters of the deep open and they fill the earth. And after 40 days and 40 nights of rain, the ark, which contains the spirit of life, again, is moving over the face of, of the water and a wind um, eventually passes over the water. After another 150 days, a wind passes over the water, and the waters recede. And after 40 days, so there's 40 days of rain and 40 days of waiting, uh, Noah obviously sends out a raven and a dove. And initially, the dove finds no place, and so it returns to Noah. And after waiting another seven days, again, creation, he sends out uh, the dove again. And this time he comes back with an olive branch. So Noah knows new life is coming out of the waters. And so in Genesis 1, it's, it's the sea is created and, and filled, and then earth is brought out of the sea, and trees are then put on the earth and then humans are the last thing. And here it's the same thing. You have water and then trees and the earth comes out of the water. And then finally, it's people and animals are going to land on the earth and they're going to populate. So it's the same narrative uh, structure. The same plot is, is being, being followed. And so after waiting now another seven days, he sends the dove out again. Uh, but this time the dove doesn't, doesn't come back. And I, I, I think this is, and this was picked up right away in, in early church writings, that it's, this is clearly the reference in Jesus' baptism when the Spirit comes on him like a dove. And so some, some early church fathers will say, the dove that left Noah's ark for that last time and never returned is finally seen coming and resting on the new creation, which is Jesus. That 
he he came back the dove came back the first time with an olive branch as a sign new life is emerging and then when he left the second time this was technically the third time uh, when he left the third time and he did not come back that we don't see that dove landing until he lands as the spirit settling on Jesus's shoulders as he as the new creation is coming up out of the waters and I think that that's right. I think that's clearly the image going on there. But again, what, so hit pause. What does that say about baptism? To me, again, this is just driving home the point that something real is happening at baptism. It is not just a symbol. It is not just a, a personal proclamation that I can make whenever or however I want. It's new creation dawning. It's Genesis 1 emerging. It's the ark and Noah's new creation emerging. It's the spirit that hovered like a dove over the waters calling out new creation. It's the the dove that hovered and was sent out from the ark, now landing on Jesus as the new creation, as the one who will make all things new, because he himself is going to go down like Noah for three days in the earth and come up as God's new creation. And so Noah, we know the story, eventually opens up the ark on dry ground, and immediately God gives him a command, be fruitful and multiply, again echoing Genesis, Genesis 1. So this is, this is clearly a new creation. And so this then brings us to 1 Peter 3. We'll, just, we'll go there now. Um, Peter brings this story up outright. And um, I'm actually going to pull it up here real quick. And I'm going to begin in, in verse um, 18. This is just a very crazy text of scripture, but this is, I want you to see how the New Testament authors are thinking about baptism, one, how it relates to the church, two, how it relates to the work of Jesus, three, and how they're thinking about the story of Noah, how, in this instance, Peter's reading that story, and hopefully that will even help us to be faithful readers. But First uh, Peter three eighteen for Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. Okay, so this is First Peter three eighteen, essentially the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, and by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who were formerly disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now just pause for a second. Think about how he just described the story of Noah. The idea or the language of being saved through water is kind of weird because the story of Noah, nobody's going through the water. He's sitting 
on top of the water, right? Um, I, I think he's merging this story with the next one that we're going to get to, which is the Red Sea, where they go through the water. But just, again, notice how he's... Peter just immediately jumps from crucifixion, resurrection, by the Spirit, to this is just like Noah, who was saved through the water. That, that's his connection. Verse 21. And there's also an antitype, which now saves us, and that is baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but of the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus, who has now gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. There's Matthew 28, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's ascended at the right hand of the Father. That's He gave that command as he was ascending. So there's, so between crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension in Peter's telling, he just inserts this story of Noah and says, oh yeah, this is exactly like it was in the days of Noah. Oh, and that story, he says, by the way, is an, an antitype. It's a prototype. It's a model of the thing that now saves us, and that's baptism. So this opens a, a few questions, but the obvious one is, does baptism save? Um, we need to wrestle with a few things. One, the text actually says baptism saves. And he even goes on to clarify, listen, I'm not just talking about the fact that it washes water off you or it washes dirt off of you, the filth off of you. And this is alluding back to Levitical cleansing rituals where they had to, to wash. Or if you think about um, uh, when they were at the foot of the mountain in Exodus 19 for three days, it says they were to wash their garments before God came down, which those themselves are actually... Um, signs of of baptism in their own way but here he's he's trying to draw a distinction of like this isn't just about you gaining some kind of you know outward purity or ritual purity of of getting the the filth off of you he goes no 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 this is about you having a a good and clean conscience towards god this is about you being remade on the inside this is about something new happening on the inside of you. And the thing that saves you, he says, and he just clearly says it, the thing that save, that now saves us, baptism. So the question is, does baptism save? Well, we have to be honest and say, 1 Peter 3.21 says, the thing that now saves us, baptism. Um, so yes, baptism does save. So now we have to ask the follow-up question, well, in, in what way does it save? Does this mean that someone who's not baptized uh, is not saved? Does this mean someone who goes their whole life professing faith in Jesus, faithfully following him, but for whatever reason they're never baptized, does that mean that they uh, 
you know, are eternally apart from Jesus, however you want to think about that conversation. Here's what I think is going on. I think the easiest way to answer this is to answer it in the affirmative. I think what the what Peter is putting his finger on here, and we can see when we just track, especially through the book of Acts, and even how Paul writes in his letters to the Romans and to the Ephesians particularly, and Colossians, those, those three particularly, is this. The New Testament authors do not envision a non-baptized believer. And so when he says this thing that now saves us baptism, I don't think he is meaning the only way to, to, for you to be eternally in Christ is to go under the water, and unless you do that, you can confess all you want, believe all you want. It doesn't matter because the thing that actually seals the deal is the water. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think what they're trying to point us to is, again, my fundamental claim here is why I think baptism is so foundational to go back even to that Shepherd of Hermes vision that the, that tower was being built on the water and the stones were being drawn out of, out of the water, is because the New Testament authors don't envision a follower of Jesus that's not baptized because baptism is the place, it is the way, it's the, the, the sacrament, it's the actual means by which we are brought down into death with our crucified Christ and raised to newness of life with him. It is the way that we are uh, buried and, ro- uh, and, and resurrected. It is the way in which we, like Jonah, go down into the depths and are brought back out. It is the way in which we, like Noah here, go into the water and are brought out on the other side as a new creation. It is the way like Genesis 1, that new life is brought out in the world. It's through water. It's John 3, being born again of spirit and of water. And so, does baptism save? Yes, it does, because the the New Testament does not envision non-baptized believers. It only envisions those that actually will go down in the water with him because he went down for us. The, the, the only con, uh, conceptual world that they have is that we would obey and go make disciples and baptize them just as we were baptized, just as he was baptized, just as Israel was baptized when they crossed the Jordan and when they crossed the Red Sea and Noah was baptized when he went through the water and the earth first emerged out of the water. That's the, that's the chain of events. And so if you're going to belong to that story, in their mind, of course you're going to be baptized. Why wouldn't you? It's a complete misnomer in their mind to think of someone claiming to follow Jesus and not being baptized. That's why when you get to the book of Acts and the Spirit falls and they say, what in Acts 2, what what now must we do? They say, repent and be baptized. This is what he just told us to do. He just told us, go to the nations and tell them to repent and teach them to obey and 
baptize them. And then later on, when you get to, I think it's Acts 19, in the, the city of Ephesus, there are believers who have been baptized into John, and they show up and say, hey, have you been baptized into Jesus? And they say, oh, no, we haven't, we haven't heard of such a thing. We've only been baptized into John. And what do they do? Well, they baptize them. Because if you're going to be in Jesus, and these are people who already believed, these are people who already confessed, and the apostles then don't say, well, no, you don't actually believe. It's, well, if you believe, then you should be baptized into Jesus. You should be baptized just as he was baptized. So Peter says that this is what saves us, our baptism. But there's something else going on there, because if we think about the gospel story, we're, I mean, Peter here, he says that we are saved through the water. And I think there's a couple of ways to think about that. And, I, and they're different and helpful each in their own way. One is to say that we have been spared like Noah and brought through as God's new creation and been commissioned. And I, I think that's a faithful way to read it. But the other way is to actually say, well, but really, you and I are like all of the people on the earth who perished in the water because we were wicked. We were sinners. Violence and darkness filled our hearts. And actually, if we were to read the Noah story and be honest, we're not Noah. We are, we're the people. And so Jesus is Noah. Jesus is the one who took upon the wood. Not the wood of the ark, but the wood of the cross. And came into the water to save us. But Jesus didn't just rest on top of the water. He came into the water and actually died with us in the water and then raised us up again with him out of the water. That Christ didn't just stay floating on top, but he came down to the depths of the sea. As the psalmist would say, where could I run from your presence? Even if I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. Because he's the one who holds the keys of death and hell and Hades and all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth are given to him. And Jonah is the one who, when he's in the belly of the fish under the sea, he says he goes down to the depths of Hades and God meets him there and speaks to him there. And then Jonah is brought up out of there, and Christ is the new Jonah, who goes down to the depths and preaches to us there, as Peter says, and preaches to those who have perished, to those who were swept away in those waters that came crashing in and brought all of us out. This is what baptism is. This is what it means to be 
the people of God. We are the ones who have been brought out. We are the ones who have been made new. We are the ones who, like Noah, have been saved through the waters. Through the waters, Peter says. And so again, baptism is not just this symbol. It's our very core and identity of the people of God, that we're the ones who have been saved by the true and greater Noah, who took the wood upon himself and brought God's new creation out of it by the Spirit. And that same Spirit that was sent out of the ark now rests, came to rest on Christ who came out of the water and then went up upon the wood. And then that water, John, the Gospel of John tells us, now flows from his very side. That now the water of baptism that you and I are baptized into is the water that flows from Christ. That this is the water that we're baptized into now. So again, all this to say, and we'll end here. These stories are taking a little longer than I hoped, but you know, that's how it usually goes. But all this to say, again, baptism and to be the church is to be the baptized people of God because we're the saved ones. We're the rescued ones. We're the... God's new creation. We're the ones who were under the water and were brought out. We're the ones who now rest in the ark and have been brought through. And now we're called to be fruitful and multiply, to go to all the nations and baptize again and teach them to be fruitful and multiply in the Spirit. We're the ones saved by the Spirit and by the water, the water that now flows from His side. In the next episode, I want to talk about the Red Sea and connect that to Paul in 1 Corinthians. And, um, and that, I think, will conclude some of the thoughts that I have on baptism and the church as the baptized people of God. If you find this helpful, um, please uh, share it. If you have questions on baptism, hopefully I, I answered at least one of the common ones today. But if you have more questions on baptism, shoot me an email, leave me a message. Both those links are in the description of this episode and every episode. And I'd love to hear from you. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time.